0: I'll turn to Hebrews chapter 8 with me. Hebrews chapter 8, we're looking at this uh, great chapter 8 of Hebrews. It's a central passage in all the Bible on the subject of the New Covenant. Uh, that's why we're devoting three messages to it to try to understand what this New Covenant is all about. To many people, they would say, well, let's just move on. This is difficult stuff. Matter of fact, most of Hebrews has been difficult as we've gone through it. Why don't we just hurry on through these passages Do some devotionettes and move on to chapter 11 that everybody loves. Maybe a little bit of chapter 12. This is hard stuff, and I think we just move on. I want to warn you about that. Uh, The Lord didn't put fillers in his Bible. There's not portions here that are unimportant. matter of fact, all this is so intense and so important that we're taking our time to try to understand it as best we can. The same thing reading through the book of Hebrews. Don't just run through these early early, uh, chapters, even if you're struggling to understand everything. And run off to the easy parts. God has these in here for us. And we want to understand what God has for us in this new covenant. So far in chapter 8, uh, going back to verses 6 and 7, we know we have a better covenant. Uh, verse 6, based on better promises. So that much we know. And then uh, the, the old covenant uh, in, in verse 7. The, the problem with the old covenant was not uh, verse 8, the, the covenant. It was us. Finding fault with them, the problem was that we couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep the old standards of the old covenant. And therefore, a better covenant with better promises are ne- is necessary. Then we explored the content of the new covenant last week, going back to Jeremiah chapter 31, from which this is all quoted from. And as we did that, we saw exactly what was the content of this new covenant, at least partially. We'll see a little more today about that. And then we moved down to the very end of chapter 8. And we see verse 13 that we have a new covenant. And if we have a new one, the first one is becoming obsolete. So that's how he ends this chapter 8. That this is an old covenant has become obsolete. It's growing old and ready to disappear. And a new covenant has come to take its place. Uh, we might get some perspective if you think of a union contract. If you're working for management and you have a contract, the union people want a better contract. One that's better than the one last year. Or the year before, and so they negotiate for a better deal, a better contract. So the New Covenant is a better contract, a better deal with, with God's people than the Old Covenant was. Maybe a, a better uh, illustration might be of a computer. Uh, my, I remember my first computer back many, many years ago when computers, personal computers were just coming out. And uh, it was very interesting, very different than today's computers. Uh, I remember putting my computer together in, my, in our living room. I put it all together. I turned it on, and, and there was an orange screen with a little cursor bouncing back and forth, going in and out. And I said, Now what? And I had no idea what the Now what was. Uh, so, and I had this massive hard drive called a five and a quarter inch floppy disk. That was what ran the whole thing. It didn't do much. It did some word processing and did a few games, whatever. It didn't do much. It's very primitive. But what if I had stuck to my guns and said, I'm going to use that computer for the rest of my life. You know, that's what I'm going to be using, or a Commodore 64. So you remember those? That's, that's still the most, most purchased computer ever, number one of all computers, Commodore 64. Most of you have never even heard of a Commodore 64. And if you have one still working in your house, you could probably sell it for big bucks. They're not around anymore. Those are are antiques. Those are museum pieces. Those are not things that that we use today. So we move on with our technology. And so you would think it would be quite odd if I just stayed with my old DOS computer and didn't come up to the modern day. And by the way, when, when we came up to Windows, when Windows came along, I resisted. We don't need things like Windows. We've got DOS, whatever that is. I didn't know what it was, but I'd used it. I was used to it. We get used to things, right? And we like the things we're used to. And so as we come to this chapter, the the Jewish people, these Christian people that the author of Hebrews is writing to, were very used to the old covenant, the old ways of living. They liked it. They didn't want to move on, even though the new covenant was vastly superior. But they didn't see it that way. And they were moving back to the old covenant that they grew up with and they thought was, was superior. And so, so we see the need for the new covenant is based in us. And so that's what he's talking about here. At the end of verse 10, he says that I will, uh, I will write on their hearts and I will, give, I will be their God and they will be my people. Here's the issue. The, the people of God could not fully be God's people. And they would not fully uh, be, uh, God wouldn't fully be theirs in an in a experiential sense. Until the new covenant is put in place and fulfilled. Something remains that God wants to do for us. And it's all wrapped up in this new covenant. Why do we need to know the new covenant? Why don't we just rush on to other things? Because I believe this is the, the hinge point in many ways to the Christian life. Understanding the, the benefits of this new covenant will be radically changing your life if you understand them. And you'll miss out. On so much, if you don't. It'd be like my old computer. I can still do word processing, but very little else. You can go with the old ways and you can get some things done, but you need to know the new covenant and how it can be beneficial to your life. So that's why we're spending all this time on that subject. Now, there's one more issue that remains for us. How does the new covenant relate to us today as Christians? We see in these passages, for example, uh, verse uh, 8, Chapter 8, verse 8, that the new covenant was made with Israel, Israel and Judah. So how does a covenant that was made with these ancient people of God, the nation of Israel, how does that relate to the church today? How does that relate to the Christian today? That's our subject today. That's what we want to look at. And as we do so, we're going to start off with some views very quickly that conservative Christians have. Then we're going to analyze that a little bit. Then examine some New Testament passages As what it says about the new covenant. And then we'll draw conclusion and application. So we've got a lot in front of us for the next few minutes. So put your thinking caps on. This is not Christianity 101. This is Christianity 303 at least. It's heavy stuff. It's important stuff. I will not minimize the heaviness of this. I will not minimize the, the depth of the theology that's here. But I will say this. It's essential to your Christian life to miss this. And not listen to this and not apply this will leave you at a deficit in your Christian walk. So this is vital. This is important. Let's start off by looking at the views very quickly. There's five basic views by conservative Christians. One is that Israel, the church has been replaced by Israel called replacement theology. It's the idea that all these promises God gave to Israel have now been rolled over to the church and the church Uh, has these promises now in some kind of spiritualized form, not in literal form, but spiritualized form. I reject that out of hand because that would make God a liar. God has made promises. They're very clear promises. We'll look at some of those before we're done today. If God does not keep his promises with his people, then God is a liar. We know God's not a liar. So I reject that replacement theology totally out of hand. A second view is that the new covenant is only with Israel, has nothing to do with the church, and we might buy that if we didn't look closer at the passages in the New Testament that we're going to look at today and see that there is some link to the new covenant to us. The third view is an old view that nobody probably has today called the two covenant views. There's a covenant with Israel and there's a covenant with the church, two different covenants. That was held by uh, some earlier dispensationalists, and I mention this to you mainly because if you read some of the older writings of John Wolverd, Charles Ryrie, and the early Dallas guys, the middle, the middle Dallas guys, uh, you will find a lot of these guys who did believe in two covenants. But they, I think they were just giving up. They were, they were trying to reconcile the teachings of Scripture and just said, ah, it's easier just to make up two covenants. But later on, they changed their views and recognized that they were wrong earlier in their teachings. The fourth view is already not yet view. We're already under the new covenant. But not to- not totally. There's more to come. And the final view, which I think is the best, which goes along a little bit with the last one, is you might call it the spiritual benefit of the, of the new covenant. The new covenant is in place with Israel. It is a covenant that has uh, promises only to Israel, but it also has spiritual benefits to Israel, and we are linked to those spiritual benefits through Christ. And I believe we are experiencing To some degree, not perfectly fulfilled, but to some degree, we are experiencing the benefits of the New Covenant today. Those spiritual benefits. I believe that's the best view that we could find. Tommy Ice, a theologian, says, Church-age believers clearly partake of the spiritual blessing of salvation through the New Covenant. So let's take a look at the New Testament and see if he's right. What does other New Testament scriptures say? Six times... In the New Testament, we come across this term New Covenant. And we also come across the term Covenant on a number of occasions. But the New Covenant is uh, mentioned six times. We're going to look at some of those. We'll stay here in Hebrews 8 for just a moment. It's mentioned in verse 8, the New Covenant there. And this whole chapter is about the New Covenant. And so this is where we'll come back to later. We've already looked at some of this. We'll come back in, in a bit. Go over to about a page, chapter 9, verse 15, and look at another mention of the new covenant. It says here, for this reason, he, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant. So that passage says Christ is the mediator, the negotiator, the instigator, the mediator of a new covenant. But it doesn't say what it's about. In chapter 12, verse 24, he does the same thing. He doesn't say much more, but he says in verse 24... He says, so so to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So both times he tells us Christ is this mediator. It's only through Christ that we have anything to do with the new covenant. But it doesn't tell us the content of that new covenant. So those are the mentions in Hebrews. I want to go back now to the, the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Jesus himself He is in the upper room the night before his crucifixion uh, at the Lord's table. We we quote this passage often at, at at our communion services. He's speaking to his Jewish disciples at this point. And he says this in verse 20. He says, in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. That's the words of Jesus, the new covenant in his blood. If you drop back a couple verses, back to verse 18, he says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So we see even right here, there, there is the new covenant in Christ's blood, but the complete fulfillment of that new covenant is going to happen when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. I will drink of this vine with you, the fruit of this vine with you when I return. And so he is saying here, That the end times have connections with the new covenant. Now if we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is quoting from Luke. And some of these other passages. And this is another one we turn to all the time when we're doing the Lord's Supper. And he says in in chapter 11. In verse 25. He says in the same way he took the cup also after supper saying this cup. Is a new covenant in my blood? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So how often, quite frankly, when we're doing the Lord's Supper here, and we quote from this passage or from Luke or from Matthew, about the, and a new covenant comes up, how often do you, does it go to your mind, well, I know I'm saved because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I know he died for my sins, and I know that, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and so I know that. But when it says new covenant in his blood, I just daze over. I don't know really what he's talking about. I'm sure it's important, but somehow I don't get it. And so I'm just going to let it slide and I don't think anything more of it. That's kind of a, a tragic way to think about it, but that's what happens often with, uh, with us as we think about these things. We don't understand it. And we want, Christ- we want Christianity to be light, don't we? Don't we want it to be breezy and easy and no big deal? Just, Just a light thing. We can come on Sunday morning, sing some good songs and hear the gospel and go home. Let's not get too deep into this stuff. And yet when we look at the scriptures carefully, the deep stuff is very, very important. And so when we see the new covenant in his blood, we ought to at least pause long enough to say, what in the world is he talking about? Why would this be something we repeat every time that we have the Lord's Supper? And yet not necessarily know what it means and the implication for us. That's, sad, that's a sad thing, I think, if we do that. It's like it's not necessary. Now there's an old legend going around our church from 30 years ago about a guy in our church who has decided he's going to replace his brakes on his car but had never done it before. And that was before, before YouTube. You know, So he's going he's to have to try to figure it out. So he, he wanted to save money so he bought, the, he bought all the stuff, and he replaced his brakes, and when he got done, he had parts left over. <laughs> he had no idea what to do with the parts, so goes the story. I can't vow of for this completely. So goes the story. He didn't know what to do with them, so he threw them away. Apparently, I don't need them. Now, I never heard any more of the story. I'm pretty sure at some point he realized what those parts were about. <laughs> they were not throwaways. They were needed. He might have got down the road and stopped on occasion, but I bet you something went wrong later. You can get down the road in the Christian life with just a simple gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And when you place your faith in him, through repentance and faith alone, he forgives your sin and you're saved. That's wonderful. But you're not going to go very far down the road, Christian-wise, till you understand the more important, deep, not more important, the deeper truths of the faith. And the New Covenant is one of those great things that you need to know and understand. Now go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 6. So I, mean, I kind of like we did last week we looked at all the all those Old Testament passages about covenants. This time we're looking at all the New Testament passages that at least mention the new covenant. There's others that we'll leave out, but chapter 3 verse 6 Paul says this of 2 Corinthians who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not the letter of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now Paul says that he and the other apostles were, were servants of a new covenant. Again, he doesn't tell us what that is, but he does say something very, very important here. He says, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. He is differentiating now between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace and the spirit. And though he doesn't flesh it out at this point too much, here's the issue. Under the old covenant, the people were under the law. The rabbis parsed it out and went through the Old Testament and said, there actually are 713 Old Testament laws and you've got to keep every one of them if you want to be right with God. 713 laws. Paul says, I'm, I'm not giving you an old covenant of 713 laws. I'm giving you a new covenant of the Spirit. Today, we don't walk with the Lord in, by keeping the law. We walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we live in obedience. We're not living on the basis of law. We're living on the basis of grace and on the basis of the Spirit of God. That's a new covenant. That's the difference between the law and the age of the Spirit, the church age. Go with me to Romans chapter 11. A couple more, and then we're going to move on. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 27. He doesn't mention new covenant here, but he does mention covenant, same covenant. Verse 25, he says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. He wanted them to know this mystery, this secret God has now revealed. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation. That a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. So right now, most Jewish people are hardened to the gospel. Not all, but many. He says, and so all Israel will be saved. The day will come when Israel as a nation will turn to the Lord. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so the, the essence of the covenant here is that the, in, the complete essence of sin, all of it, every last drop of it is going to be removed because of the new covenant. Not just forgiven, removed, gone, ceases to exist because of the new covenant. Now I'll go back to Hebrews chapter 8. We're back, back to full circle. Hebrews chapter 8. And we look one more time at this verse 13, because we've already looked at everything else. But verse 13, when he said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete, whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Three things that I believe this chapter is emphasized and this verse is pointing to that you need to know about the new covenant. First of all, the old covenant is obsolete. It is is unnecessary any longer. It's not needed any longer. That doesn't mean we don't have moral laws. That means that we no longer live on the basis of law. We live on the basis of the Spirit of God. Secondly, the author makes clear that God will not renege on his promises. God will keep his word to Israel. He made promises to Israel. Physical promises and spiritual promises. He will not lie. He will not renege. Those promises will be fulfilled. And then thirdly, we now are attached to the New Covenant. We're benefiting from the New Covenant spiritually to certain degrees. The fullness of the spiritual blessings of the New Covenant are yet to come. There's more to come. But we are already experiencing a portion of that spiritual blessing right now. Now what if I had ignored all the new technology of the lifes 30 or 40 years, and said, if I left my DOS computer behind, or my Commodore 64, that I was going to leave my cutting-edge knowledge of technology, and so I'm going to stay with what I had before, and I'm not going to move forward, because what I had before was better, and people could make an argument, oh yeah, those old computers were better, you, you understood the maintenance, you didn't need to, need to know the The uh, windows, you weren't connected to the internet, because there was no internet. And therefore, nobody could find your information and steal it, because you were were off the grid. And that five and a quarter floppy disk was just lovely. They make great coasters, by the way. You know, they're they're wonderful. And so that old technology is really good stuff. Maybe I'll stay with that. Nobody does that. If if you do that, don't tell me I'm going to have bad thoughts about you for years. But I don't think anybody does that because the technology today is so much better. Every time Edwin looks at my computer, he says, You need a new computer. I said, Why? Because this one works great. He said, But it's old. I don't care. It still works. But one day, the new technology will be there, and I'll have to be taught all over again how to do something because there's better stuff. You want the good stuff? You want the old stuff? Well, some of these people in Hebrew that he's writing to wanted the old stuff. They were happy with laws. The writer of Hebrews says they're, they're confused. There's so much more. There's so much better for you. And so the old covenant has grown old. It's obsolete. Something much better has come. Now, we must go back to the book of Ezekiel. And if you're, unless you have a much better memory than me, and knowing how many people in this room lose their glasses and keys, And the lost and found is filled with all the stuff you've lost. I mean, please check the lost and found out today because there's tons and tons of stuff that you have lost which tells me you don't have a good memory. Okay? Or either that or there's something else wrong with you. But there's there's a lot of stuff that you forget. So unless your memory is better than mine, you ought to write down in the book of Hebrews two passages in the Old Testament so you can go to them next time. You ought to write down that Jeremiah chapter 31. Passage, Because that's where the Old Testament, New Covenant is quoted from. And then Ezekiel chapter 37, or 36, I mean, at verses 24 to verse 38, is going to tell us more details about the New Covenant than perhaps any other place in the Bible. So you need to know these two Old Testament passages. And you won't remember them if you don't write them down somewhere, I don't think. But maybe a few of you will, I don't know. I'm going to look at the promises here. And if you have the notes, you picked up the notes, or you, or you get the written manuscripts that we send out, or you, whatever, uh, I'm going to reverse order here. First of all, I'm going to talk about the physical promises, and then the spiritual. And it says on your notes, the scriptural. That's wrong. It should be spiritual. I'm going to talk about the external promises and the internal promises. Let's start with the physical, the external promises given to Israel, that have never been fulfilled to this day. And will not be fulfilled. Until Christ comes back. And sets up his kingdom on earth. And look at these verses with me. What is God promising Israel? And please don't spiritualize these away. To spiritualize these away is to, is to minimize the truth of scripture. And say God isn't being clear. God's being very clear. Just read it for what it says. Verse 24. Verse 24. Israel will be gathered back to the land. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. When Ezekiel wrote this, the northern tribes of Israel were already in captivity, spread out all over the place. The northern tribes of Judah were in the process of doing the same thing. He's right in the middle of that. And, but, but God gives a promise to Israel that one day he will bring them back to the land. It's a physical land promise. In verse 28. He says. And you will live in the land. That I gave your forefathers. So you'll be my people. And I will be your God. In verse 28. He says. You will come back to this land. The land I promised. Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. And all of Israel. This is your land. You're coming back to it. I promise. But not until Christ returns. Thirdly. If the, cities, if the cities will be inhabited. Waste places will be rebuilt. Verse 33. Thus says the Lord God, on that day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. Your cities are going to be full. People are going to live there. They're going to come back. The waste places will be, all the rubble is going to be rebuilt. And then the desolate land will be cultivated. Verse 34. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation. In the sight of everyone who passes by, they will say this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste, desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. God's going to make it all new. All the physical properties of of the promised land. The land promised originally to Abraham. Wherever his foot would travel throughout that land would be to his descendants. God will keep his promise. And he's promising here that's all going to happen. And then because of God keeping his promise, the nations will know that he is God. Verse 36. He says, then the nations that are left around you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate. I, the Lord, has spoken and will do it. The world will look on Israel and say, he is God. Only God could pull this off. And so that's all physical land promises that have yet to be fulfilled the people of Israel. So that part of the new covenant is yet to come. It's not here yet. Now let's turn to the spiritual aspects, the internal aspects of the new covenant as found here. And there's about five things I want to mention quickly. First of all, there's spiritual cleansing. In verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from all your idols. Verse 33 He says, thus says the Lord, on that day I will cleanse you from all your iniquities. All the corruption of sin will be cleansed and gone. Totally. Uh, You ever ever power wash your house? You know that green scum, that mold that comes on the the north side of your house? You know, and you get a power washer and you clean it off. I don't remember as a kid growing up ever doing that. So I don't know if that didn't happen back in the old days. Or if uh, we just thought it was some kind of patina we liked, you know, kind of like the Ivy League halls or something, you know, that green stuff was a better look than what we had, so we left it. I don't know. But today, everybody power washes their house when they get down that. So when you do that, uh, isn't it cool to see when you're power washing that, that scum just come off and go away? It's kind of enjoyable for the first six hours of doing that, Okay. By the way, I found a product where you don't have to do that anymore. For $25 a head, I'll tell you what it is. But but as it all comes off, you're you're cleansed. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about here, except that uh, it wasn't a total cleansing. He forgave them uh, now, but then it'll be total, complete, never to be a problem again. Wouldn't that be great? No more sin, no no more corruption, no more stain. That's the first thing. Secondly, there's the interchange of us, a new heart and a new spirit within us. He says in verse 26, Moreover, I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. An inward change. In the New Testament, we might call that the new nature. We're, We're changed from the inside. Israel was not changed from the inside. You see, if you, you, if you wash down your house and you don't do anything about it, it'll come back eventually, right? If you just leave it as is. What changes that so that it doesn't come back? A new inner nature. A change of heart. Notice the word spirit here is not capitalized. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is our spirit. We are changed from the inside out. Thirdly, do we do get the Holy Spirit? In verse 26, moreover, I will give you, uh, I mean, 20, 27, I mean, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. On top of the inward change, there is the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell them. Now, this is why we know there's a connection between the New Testament, the Christian age and the, uh, and the new covenant. The Old Testament people did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. He did not indwell them. But in the New new Covenant, in the age to come, he will dwell in them. When we come to the New Testament, the hallmark of a new Christian is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. Romans 8 9. If the Holy Spirit does not live in you, you are not a Christian. That is a characteristic of a Christian. And therefore, we have already the beginning of this, this age, this new covenant, The Holy Spirit is in us, and yet there's more to come. The complete obedience, that's where he leads to next. He says in that same verse, verse 27, and it says, And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You'll walk in my statutes. You will now be in compliance with me. You will obey me, and you will obey me perfectly. Why? Because you have been transformed. You have been changed. The Spirit lives in you. We have some of that now. We are already beginning to enjoy those benefits of inward transformation. That's called regeneration. We've been born again. And the Holy Spirit indwelling us and empowering us so that we have the strength to live for Christ. What a difference that makes. Have you ever ever tried to do something just because you know you should do it but you don't want to? Isn't there a real difference between that and doing something because you want to? Let's take reading the Bible. You read the Bible and uh, because you're supposed to. The church tells you to read the Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. If it kills me, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm just going to plow through this thing somehow. But if you don't really want to do so, it's so dull, so dry, so boring. It's still fun. It's still good. But what if their inward nature's changed and you hunger for the Word of God? You hunger for the things He wants to teach us. That changes everything. You open the Bible in the morning, not because somebody told you you had to, but because you want to. That's transformation, folks. And that's because the Lord has changed your nature and the Lord has put His Spirit within you and you desire to do those things. Now, while none of the physical, external promises are mentioned in the New Testament, the spiritual ones are. And so we have to conclude that the Lord, does, we're not seeing any of the physical promises, but we're inher- we are enjoying aspects of the new covenant inward promises. More is to come when we are glorified. But right now, we are we're in the process of sanctification and, and, and inward change because we have a new nature and a new spirit. Let me, let me liken this to a trust. Let's say you have a, a very rich relative who loves you a lot, and decides to leave you $5 million, okay? But this person also knows you probably couldn't handle $5 million all at once, and so they set up a trust. And this trust is set up so that every year you get some money, maybe $20,000 or something. Every year you get some money. And every year, year after year, you get a little bit of money from the trust. And then eventually the trust dissolves at a certain age, let's say 40 by then, they figure you're mature and smart and cool, so you're, you're ready for your money. At age 40, this, the trust dissolves, and you get all of it, all the rest. That's kind of what we're doing with the new covenant here. The new covenant is kind of like that trust. We're, we're already being given, moment by moment, certain benefits and aspects of the new covenant. The spiritual transformation, the spirit of God in us, the desire to obey. These things are ours now, but at the, when the Lord returns, we get the full thing. We get it all. We get all the benefits in perfection. So we're tasting, we're, we're appreciating, we're benefiting from the covenant, and yet there's more yet to come. One last time, go back to Hebrews as I wrap this up and make a quick application. Hebrews chapter, chapter 7, verse 25, if you would. Hebrews seven twenty-five. What is our main takeaway from our study of the New Covenant? Maybe you're still confused. If you are, let me give you four things that I hope you walk out of here with concerning the New Covenant and how it changes your life And how you are to live as God wants you to live. Four things that we find from the new covenant that we're experiencing now. Number one, the forgiveness of sin based upon the blood of Christ. The new covenant in his blood. We cannot be saved without Jesus Christ dying for us. The new covenant is in his blood. We are connected to the new covenant because Jesus Christ is the mediator of that covenant He has ratified that covenant. He has cut that covenant. There's more to come, but because we're connected with Christ, we have have forgiveness of sin through His blood. That's number one. When we come to the communion next week, remember that. It's because of the new covenant that you can be saved. Number two, you have a new nature. Uh, The Old, Old Testament people, as far as we can tell, never had that new nature like we do. Not a radical transformation from the inside out. That is something God gave us in the new age as part, as a benefit of the beginnings of the new covenant. Number three, the Holy Spirit indwells you. So much of the New Testament talks about the Holy Spirit who indwells us, empowers us. We walk in Him in all sorts of ministries concerning the Holy Spirit in our lives. And therefore, because of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit indwells us now. And completely, fully indwells us in eternity. And then one more, chapter 7, verse 25, it says this, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Remember one of the great themes of Hebrews. The Old Testament people could never draw near to God. They were kept at a distance. The whole sacrificial system, the whole tabernacle system, the whole priesthood, all the system was set up so that the people could not come personally into the presence of God. That's part of the old covenant. The new covenant through Jesus Christ invites us in the book of Hebrews over and over and over to draw near. The barriers are down. Christ has paid the price and therefore you and I can be saved. We can be redeemed through that. And as a result, we can draw near to God himself. What an amazing thing. There's an old preacher by the name of A.J. Gordon years ago, probably many decades ago. He was standing in front of his church. A little boy walked by with an old rusty birdcage with some old sparrows he had in the birdcage. And he was walking along. The preacher said, what are you going to do with those birds? He said, well, I'm going to play with them for a while. And then I'm going to feed them to my cat and he felt uh, for you cat lovers that's tough stuff some of us not as much but the, this must have been a uh, this, this guy was a bird lover and so he said I'll buy that those birds from you I'll buy the cage and the birds and the little boy said you don't want that these are these are just old birds they don't sing they're nothing just wild birds he said I'll buy them so he gave the boy some money and the boy was happy it went away the pastor took the bird cage out in the backyard behind the church opened it up and let the birds out The next Sunday, he went to the pulpit with the birdcage, and he said to the people, "Uh, this is a wonderful illustration, I think, of what Christ has done to set us free. We were enslaved and caged to sin, and now we've been set free from that, and we're free to fly in Christ. And he said, the boy told me that these birds couldn't sing. But I would have sworn when they flew off, they were singing, redeemed, redeemed, (laughs) redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, I, can, I cannot be silent. His child, I am forever, am I, I am. Redeemed. Because of the new covenant, because of what Christ has done through it, you can be set free from sin. That's your new covenant. I hope you learn something from it. Father, we thank you now that you have done so much for us in Jesus Christ, that we can be set free from the, bound, the, the, the bondage of sin, the power of sin, the corruption of sin. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful. For all you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Father today there are some here that don't know you as Savior I'm sure. May this be a day that they would look to you for salvation. For their sins to be cleansed to be set free. In fact by Jesus Christ. And his work on the cross for us. We pray in your name. Amen.